Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, you go to mubi.com slash filmstage. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowe, and with me today, we have Bill Graham. Yeah, we do. All right. I'm glad that that has been confirmed. We also have Rob and Barr. Oogly boogly. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, super psyched to have you both here. We are, once again, without guest this week. Uh, but that is fine. We should provide more than enough mayhem and murder and madness for everyone listening. And um, yeah, we hope you've had a happy Halloween and an All Souls Day and an All Saints Day and Dia de los Muertos. And, and Devil's other... Night. Yeah, uh, isn't Devil's Coco. Night just when just people night. go and like burn shit down? It's also my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Three days, two yeah. days ago. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you do? Mm, I ate uh, uni soba and it was delicious. That sounds great. All right. Well, who needs guests? We've got someone who has recently eaten uni soba. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, the usual I'm stuff. I'm just a city girl. I'm just a city uni soba. Oh my god! All right, we are here today. Uh, speaking of, uh, I don't know. I was going to try to make soba into Soho, and it's just I can't. I'm not that clever. Um, we're here today to talk about Last Night in Soho. It's the newest film for writer-director Edgar Wright, uh, co-written by Christy Wilson Cairns, who actually helped to write 1917. Uh, it stars Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, and we are so excited to talk about it. And we will just as soon as we do all of our usual front matter. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcastfilmstage.com, and of course you can give us a comment and rating on iTunes. Don't forget that you can also go to patreon.com slash the film stage show for a uh, chance or a, an opportunity to support this podcast for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel as well as first crack at all the movie related raffles that we do. So do that. Help us out. Help us to keep creating these wonderful reviews for you all to listen to during your lives. And uh, don't forget that we are also brought to you by Movie curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Movie premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. With Movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. And there is some awesome shit that is on there right now. I wanted to talk about the ethnographic doc Sweetgrass. This breathtaking view of American West revealed the groundbreaking vision of Lucian Casting Taylor and Elissa Barbash from Harvard's Sensory Ethnography Lab. These are the ones who brought us Leviathan. Through its visual and oral pleasures, newly restored Sweetgrass is one of the defining documentaries of this century. So check that out. 
if you would like a free 30-day subscription to Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage again. That is mubi.com slash filmstage for a 30-day trial subscription to Mubi. Do it. All right. Uh, so that is that. Is there anything else that we need to talk about before we delve face first into last night in Soho? Yeah, I watched Coco. And, uh, you know, it's a great film. Uh, Eric and I have decided to watch it every November 1st because that is Dia de los Muertos, or that is the start of it at least. Um, So, yeah, great film. Awesome. Nothing nothing but praise for that fucking thing. I was about to say, I don't feel like you're going to find anyone who's like, ew, Coco, boo. (laughs) I've never seen it. What? somehow worse than not liking it well you gotta check it out um it's no luca sick (laughs) man bullshit (laughs) i'm joking i do i think that coco is a better or maybe a more meaningful film than luca i don't want to go and say which one's better they're both a different beast but i mean coco is it's classic rip your heart out pixar but like top-notch beautiful chef's kiss rip your heart out pixar so oh yeah hell yeah all right. Well, yeah, it's November 1st. Check out Coco and then uh, watch Luca. Um, <laughs> <sighs> all right. Well, that's it. Uh, we can now talk about our feature review, which, again, is the newest film from writer-director Edgar Wright, who previously has done Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, uh, Baby Driver. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but I'm not going to look. I'm just going to plow forward ahead with confidence and start playing the trailer to Last Night in Soho right now. Baby, you don't know what you say. What brings you down then? I'm studying London College of Fashion. Room is on the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. I could live any place and any time I'd live here in London. In the 60s. Last night, I saw something in my dreams. All right, so that is the beginning of the trailer for Last Night in Soho, this movie, out in wide release in theaters now. And again, it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomas and McKenzie, and a couple other people, and we're here to talk about it. So let's uh, let's just hop right in. We begin, as always, with our spoiler-free nutshell thoughts. I'm going to sling it on over to Bill Graham. What are your thoughts on Last Night in Soho? So I am a huge Edgar Wright fan. Uh, I've liked uh, all of his films to varying degrees, although Baby Driver, I still have some issues with, uh, mainly with that lead performance, but also uh, we did a whole podcast on that fucking thing. So, you know, if you want me to dive (laughs) in deep, uh, go ahead and listen to that. Um, But I think that he is a remarkable visual stylist. I think he's got a lot of uh, fun quirks to him. And uh, usually his films are uh, very 
uh, full of puns and funny and humorous and light. And this film is none of those fucking things, uh, except for beautiful. Uh, so that's what you're getting yourself into. Uh, it's kind of the last 40 minutes of it is, is just kind of a nightmare. Um, and it's interesting that he decided to go this route. Um, you know, I think directors sometimes, especially writer directors, will sometimes get pigeonholed by, uh, you know, what they're most known for. And he's definitely known for being a light, upbeat kind of uh, filmmaker. Um, and this film really kind of flips that script. And again, I think it is absolutely gorgeous to to watch and it does have his kind of classic needle drops i think he and uh james gunn and quentin tarantino would have a lot of fun like kind of out dueling themselves uh but that being said i think the lead performances are all across the board very very good in this i just wish I got something more out of the horror that poor Thomas and McKenzie goes through. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, leave it at that for now. Um, I'm curious to see what, where everybody else landed. Well, not so much Brian, but everybody else. <laughs> you use quotation marks around one word and everyone feels like that it was your opinion. Anyway, Robin Barr. I'll preface this by saying that the theater that I attended this movie in was a, was a Dolby. Um, and I don't know if this was an issue of the sound design or the, or the folks who were running the theater that I was in, but I had real trouble with um, how loud everything was. And to the, it was to the point where I was sticking my fingers in my ears because it was just such a sensory overload for me. And I, and that sometimes happens. And, you know, sometimes I do think that movies in general are too loud, but this was overall just kind of a miserable theater going experience for me because of the way the screechiness of the film interacted with, with the, um, with the din of it all. It just was so unpleasant for me. So I think some of my feelings are colored by how awful it felt to be in that theater. Um, so I just, uh, I just did not enjoy the movie in general, um, partially because I felt like, you know, uh, Bill, you were talking about the needle drops, it, you know, I, and I enjoy that stuff. I like the visuals and I like the music and, you know, it all comes together, but at some point it started to feel like that was the only thing that was interesting about the movie, um, because the story certainly falls apart, um, and I didn't really dig Thomas and McKenzie in this movie. I felt like she was way overacting in this role. And part of it is just what her character go through goes through. And part of it just seems like she's trying to be a scream queen. And I, it just wasn't working for me. Although I did enjoy Anya Taylor-Joy. And we can talk a little bit more about her character. Because it's, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie in general without getting to spoiler territory. Tor- ter- spoiler territory. Um, but overall, I just found it to be a disappointing movie-going experience. And also, it's just thematically on the nose in a way that feels a little, um, I, I don't know, just just too 
telegraphed for the audience. Um, but I, I would like to talk that more through when we're in the spoiler section. <clears throat> I have not, I don't know if I've ever truly loved an Edgar Wright movie. Um, I remember watching uh, Shaun of the Dead and thinking it was very shaggy. Kind of like, I, you know how every once in a while you'll see a movie that's like by a director who you don't know. Starts to people that you kind of recognize and you're like, oh, that was fine. And then you never think about it again. Like, and because like it's got like four good scenes and like no bad scenes and like, but it's just not that important to you and you don't expect that it's going to be important to anyone else. You know, that's what I thought Shaun of the Dead would be. And the fact that it's grown into this cult of Edgar Wright is baffling to me. Um, I liked Hot Fuzz just fine. I thought The World's End was terrible. I thought baby driver was terrible i thought there's a third movie or a, a fifth movie Scott or, pilgrim oh i fucking hated scott pilgrim <laughs> yeah so i just haven't liked a lot of his stuff and i um i don't know i i walked into this movie and what was funny is i actually liked it for like the first 30 minutes and then the rest of it just kept happening and i <laughs> didn't i that's like, how i felt <laughs> it, yeah, it, like it, it's and you know, Robin, you said like, oh, it's thematically obvious or like blunt or fucking whatever. It, it's true. Like this movie, I thought it was going to be, I don't know, like Jalo Midnight in Paris. And instead, it's like less morally complex paranorman. It's such a weird terrible (laughs) terrible stupid movie robin are you okay (laughs) sure is there is there a problem with me qualifying this as less morally complex paranorman no i just think that's a very funny comparison that and it's 100 the type of comparison that only i would make um yeah i don't know like i i feel like this movie it's kind of uh, just very emblematic of everything that I don't like about Edgar Wright. I think that like Quentin Tarantino is, is very good at like using different, different inspirations and modulating the tones and, and melding it into something complete. And I feel like in this movie, Edgar Wright really shows that he is, he is that guy who in high school was like, I'm going to become a DJ, but like his mashups lack any subtlety or grace. <laughs> you know um i just watched an episode of the sopranos yesterday Oddly specific dude <laughs> i knew i knew a lot of people in high school who were like i'm gonna be a dj um and only like one of them was anywhere kind of close to good at it um but like so there's a there's an episode of the sopranos that i just watched um where they like they mash up that dun 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 dun, 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 dun like that kind of like like police spy song. I don't even know what it's called specifically, but if if you ever heard it, you'd be like, Oh, right. It's that one with the horns. Um, but they mash it up with, I'll be watching you. And the way that they kind of like raise one and lower the other as the, the FBI are looking at the Sopranos is like so fucking genius. It's so great. And this movie is like the opposite of that (laughs) in movie form. It's just, it's like you, Oh, okay. So we've got, some magical realism. We've got a kind of giallo color palette. Um, and we got, you know, all this other stuff. But we're going to, like, really lean on, like, the emotional truth of the the two lead female performances while everyone else is a goddamn cartoon character. Like, the reason that something like Suspiria works is that no one is a human being. 
And so you can mm-hmm. take its reality on its own. But in this movie, you know, Thomas and McKenzie is just too expressive and too vulnerable and too real. And you like actually feel upset when she is upset. And it, it becomes a difficult hurdle to get over. Do you? Or do you I, just feel like, calm down? I know. Well, so that's the problem uh, is. And then, like, you know, this, the, the second, third, and fourth half hour keep happening. And at a certain point, you're like, oh, my God. If these faceless, demonic apparitions don't calm the fuck down <laughs> and just let someone walk to a coffee shop, I am going to lose my shit. Um, I think that the movie suffers from a lot of uncertainty regarding its own plot, its own narrative, its own morality, which we'll get into in spoilers. And just, it, it is at once, I, it's just not good. And I just didn't like it. And I just was like, I left the theater and I'm a very busy and important man nowadays. So I only get time to maybe see one movie a week in theaters. And this was it. And it's just, it's, I'm like maybe judging it a little harsher because of that. But like, I could have seen Antlers, you know, and like maybe Antlers wouldn't have been good, but I just feel like at least it would have been more uniformly like a failure than this movie, which just felt like just tonally uneven and off in ways that I feel like might be interesting to talk about. I'm hoping because we're doing a whole podcast on it. But to experience was just very, like, annoying instead of instead of like actually disheartening or like intriguing. You know, it didn't feel like a misfire. It felt like it fired in all the ways that its creator wanted it to, but like not in any ways that are interesting or or good. <laughs> I don't know. I feel yeah. like I'm being ultra harsh on this movie, but uh, I can't help it because it it's bad. I just it's not good. You know what's a better version of this movie? I'm not joking with you. Paranormal. You're gonna go ugh. No, Cruella. Cruella is a better version of this movie because they're both about these women who end up who come from rough backgrounds, mommy issues. They end up in the city. They're interested in fashion. It's like mm-hmm. the '60s, the '70s. There's needle There's, drops. Yeah, great music. Um, you know, interesting visuals. And they have these really complex relationships with their mentors. Like, to me, Cruella was the fun that this movie was absolutely not at all. Well, that's the, I mean, half the problem for this movie is I can't tell if it wants to be fun or scary or, or, or. And, and heaven help me, but I read a review of this and it took me like, until the end of the review, I went back and looked at who wrote it and it was Armand White. Um, <laughs> did they love it? <laughs> no, he did not. Um, so, so yeah. this is the thing. So, like, oh someone, shit, we're Armand White. Someone in our Slack posted a review of the Eternals, and Robin, you said that the review was correct, and so I was like, oh, it's that was Kyle Smith. That yes. Wasn't Armand so White. I went and read that one, and then at the bottom of that, it was like, here's some other reviews that were written recently on this website. And one of them was for Last Night in Soho. And I was like, oh, I just watched that movie. Perhaps I should click on this. And I just assumed it was the same author. And it wasn't. <laughs> but <laughs> he does kind of bring up some things that I in, that I had kind of thought. And it was nice just to see them brought to the fore. And one of them was just like... The, and actually, uh, the, the review of this on RogerEbert.com um, 
which I want to say was written by uh, Robert Daniels, who has been on this podcast, um, bring up that, like, this movie suffers from its own, like, you know, uh, I can't think of the right way to say it, and I don't remember how they said it, but its own, like, special brand of, like, progressive liberalism. Um, yeah. That a lot of it is, like, checkmark feminism. Yes. A lot of it is, like, oh, we're colorblind casting, and then giving no thought to like what that changed color on that character actually means for that character's yeah. reality in the world um yep. and that's a lot of how i felt like if you're gonna do these things to make it like diverse you know and this is kind of like something that apparently a lot of people have had a problem with the eternals like if you can't just look at diversity as a checklist of things like a guy who's writing a term paper and knows that the teacher expects to hear like four different ideas and so you just shove them in there with no art and no like firm thesis you know you gotta like do it holistically you have to make it a part of the bones of it and um and this movie doesn't it it, it actually suffers a lot because of that and i think that when we get into spoilers we can talk about it more because like i think the only interesting part of this movie is is the ways in which my mind allowed me to rip it apart uh post-mortem yeah. So I don't know. Did Bill, yeah. Bill, you I, might I, be the. I was gonna did say, y'all at least like the way it looked? Not really. I mean, like, well, the wow. problem is that I did it first. For the first half, maybe. Right. But then I started to get annoyed because I was like, you're you're doing the trappings of these genres, but like without really understanding them or without commenting on them. Like, she's got the 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 light flashing through her window. But I don't know what that does. Like, I don't know what it adds to anything. Like, it, it's it's a cool stylistic touch. But, like, you know, when Hitchcock did that in Vertigo, it, it meant something. You know, when, when, when Suspiria has different colors flashing through, it's to add to this sense of, like, menace and foreboding and otherworldliness. And in this movie, it just becomes like, oh, yeah, there she is with her room. It's, like, flipping around and there's the colors. And the other thing is that... And, Bill, I know I gave you shit last week for being like, I don't understand, like, the shields and the slow knives. I don't think they were right, you know, but I also think that the flashing light in this didn't follow any discernible pattern. <laughs> ah, you asshole. I know. You, you, you're picking it apart for no fucking reason. Uh, blah, I know. Blah, 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 blah. I know. I feel terrible about it, but I was like, oh, okay, I figured out the pattern, and then it would be different, and I was like, god damn it. Is this something I'm missing? Like, is there a difference here? Like, I thought maybe at some point we'd see the apartment... And realized that in the past there was a different neon sign. Oh, but anyway, I mean, it just just, contributes to the hellishness of the space. It does, but like not in a super interesting way. I don't think it was interesting. It was overload. Everything just felt like overload visually. Um, well, I I think that's intentional. Orally, I don't think, yeah. like, I, and and I'm not trying to go down the path of Ready Player One. Maybe this movie's <laughs> bad on purpose, <laughs> but I think this film, it, like this film, is supposed to be a a horror thing. It is supposed to be just visually overboard, and you know, I mean, he wouldn't set his character on top of at a bed sit on top of this like bistro if he didn't want those lights to just be overbearing yeah fuck yeah like i i lean to erica as 
as she's like settling in for the night and I was like no fucking way would I be able to sleep there like I have blackout curtains like <laughs> fuck that well that's you know? the couldn't she just buy some blackout curtains like ah uh, no nah, that's the mystique man that's that's you know uh, that's Soho I guess oh I yeah that's I don't fucking know that, don't say I, that's I, Soho I, like that uh, means something <laughs> I just knew that this character was going to be a dickhead the minute I met her because it's wow. like first of all I can't I can't get over Thomas and Mackenzie's baby voice. Is it supposed to be uh, charming, alluring? Like, I don't know. But every time so she opened her mouth, Thomas. like oh, a little no. mouse. Don't, don't, don't go down. What, what, is, what is that visual or not that visual, that verbal thing that uh, like people criticize women on podcasts? For? Oh, vocal, vocal fry. fry. Yes. Don't. Don't go down that path. But what, I can't I've, go down I've, baby I've, voice? I've oh, already, I've... Oh Cornwall. my gosh. Okay, wait, That's... no, all right. Bill, it's all right. Just be quiet. Let Robin say what she wants to say. She's a woman. Let's, let's, She's insulated by her gender. <laughs> yeah, and because I'm a woman, I can also say I didn't fucking ask for a Me Too horror movie, and I didn't want it. And it was like We're, slapping I, me over the head with... Some I, bullshit. I am firmly aware that as a man, anything I say about this movie and its possible like morality is going to lead to me being canceled or murdered, but I'm going to have to do it. And I'm not looking forward to the spoiler section for the moment when I have to talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's nuts. As for Thomas McKenzie's voice, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah, because you like her boobs, probably. Wow. <laughs> Wow! Wait, this just turned undercut everything I could possibly say. You love the tits. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I love that. Uh, apparently, Robin has also been watching The Sopranos. And just went, I grew up in The Sopranos, honey. I know that's the <laughs> thing. Is like I. It's the same thing I said when we reviewed The Irishman, where I was like, "Am I the only one who gave like nostalgic on this movie? Like, who was like, ah, oh, I wish I had family like that again." <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just love it. I love like the like the the grabbing your cheek and like the giving you a smack that's friendly but also a little threatening and like talking about stuff and you know weird old men who seem like they're having trouble talking but they won't shut up. <laughs> it's just I love it. Um I don't even know how to respond to the concept that I'm willing to overlook Thomas and Mackenzie's possibly annoying voice just because I like her tits. Because I feel like <laughs> there's nothing I can say that would be okay. I can't even be like, I don't know, she doesn't really have that, like, you know, her tits aren't that big. And it's like, oh, is that the only way they can be good? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, you're right. All bodies are beautiful. Uh, you know, I do find her attractive, but uh, not enough that Brian her voice is, is better. body positive, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And he especially loves her little baby voice. <laughs> See, now you that's, say that. Makes, there's about. like, I feel like you're just tearing apart everything about me right now. Like, I just don't know how to respond to any she of She just this. needs a little more makeup. I, and he I, her. I, I thought her makeup I, I in this exactly movie was good, do. except for like, there's one scene where I couldn't tell if she was supposed to still be wearing the Halloween makeup from the night before. Oh, yes, or if... she is. Yeah, I know what sequence you're talking about. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I was legitimately like, is that the same makeup or is it just similar? I, I think makeup? it's just faded. It's gotcha. just faded off, you know, because because there's white and then there's black around the eyes. And I think she's just had a very bad night. And so she doesn't she didn't 
quite get it all off. I mean, I sleep in my makeup all the time and I look so cool in the morning. I mean, uh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? You know, everyone knows that eyeliner just turns into a perfect smoky eye the next day. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I actually didn't really have a problem with her performance in general. I I just think it was all over the place. goddamn voice. You know what? It was just like too scream queen. Like, we get it, bitch. Uh, yeah, but she's not even like a scream queen in this. Like it's she's it's um she's like less compelling Kevin Bacon in in Stir of Echoes. That's a good movie. I love that movie. I like I, I've oh, God. I almost said I like that movie more than The Sixth Sense, and I don't know if it's true, but I feel like saying that is just inviting people to yell at me, eh, or I'll become finished. the leader of a movement. Um, and I don't want either of those things. <laughs> I like Stir of Echoes has- a lot. The Sixth Sense has plenty of its like fucking people, fans, whatever. Like yeah. you don't you don't have to worry about like offending the David Kep is fans. better than M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. I said oh, it. D- both. I mean, David Kep's made some of my favorite movies. So you yeah, know. Stir of Echoes. Or at least written them. Yeah, he wrote he, Jurassic Park. I think. Yep. Yep. He co-wrote it. The Lost World. Uh, rear. No, not Rear Window. Secret Window. <laughs> Secret Window? Oh, what yeah, a it's fucking not a good movie. The Johnny movie. Depp movie? Yeah. Johnny Depp eats yeah, corn, baby. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and hop into spoilers. And wait, let's, wait. Let's no, we still have to talk this. more about Thomas and Kenzie's voice and or tits. Um, no. <laughs> there is a scene not. where she takes off her shirt. Bill's just backing away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, even remember what that. What do we think about... Well, uh, you know, just, I, I guess... yeah. We've talked a lot of shit about Thomas and McKenzie. I want to say that Matt Smith in this movie uh, reaffirms why I don't like Matt Smith. I think uh, at the end he's of the... He's too hot for you. He's not hot. That's the fucking <laughs> problem, though, is that this entire movie, I'm like, why are you trusting this granite-faced, clearly evil person? And so, really... If, if I've learned one thing <clears throat> about Hollywood, it is that... Males with very large heads uh, have have an upper hand. That's that's all I will say. This, I've, this, I've met a few of them, and I'm like, holy shit, you have a giant head. This barely disguised transformer has taken human form. <laughs> it's just like, and it's one of those things that like almost makes you like think less of the protagonist because they're trusting this person. It's like, well, how am I yeah. supposed to empathize with someone who would believe Matt Smith? Well, you know, I don't know. I I don't have an issue with with the way he looks necessarily. I think he he looks the way he looks, and I've gotten used to it over time. It's no longer surprising <laughs> to me. Sounds <laughs> so much meaner than whatever Brian said. Look, if like, you just stare into it like the sun, sooner or later. No, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that <laughs> his face was offensive to begin with. His face is just very unique and very Matt Smith. Oh, is if this, you showed is this me- like a... A Robin, like, it's so gross, it's compelling thing? Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. No, I'm just saying he has a very distinctive face. And at first, it is kind of distracting because you're like, whoa, he's like, I will never confuse him with someone else. And then you just kind of get <laughs> over that. I'll never confuse him for someone hot. Right. He's the opposite <laughs> of uh, that woman that you can never remember <laughs> her face. Oh, 
I know who you're talking about. Wait, but I who? Can't remember her her name? Uh, she was in GI Joe. She played the Baroness. Wait, I'm uh, sorry. Your she, go-to she, is she was in GI Joe. Yeah, not that's... the Lost City of Zed. Uh, no, because she's not in Sienna that. Sienna Miller. Much. Yeah, Sienna Miller. Oh, yeah. I've never seen a movie she was in. Oh, yes, you have. No, that's impossible. <laughs> You've 100 yeah, percent seen a movie Sienna Miller's in. This is this is what happened to Bill. He's like, I don't know who that is, but she's great. And then we started naming stuff. He's like, wait, that's all her? She was in Layer Cake. I don't even know she what she looks like. She American just Sniper. Like... She was in 21 no, never Bridges. Never one's never seen it. Oh, my God. She's in Live By all Night. All I know her is the person that broke up Jude Law's marriage. Burnt. High Rise. Mississippi Grind. Foxcatcher. Nope. None of them. You haven't seen any of these movies? No, because I'm that not a is... fucking 40-year-old man. Stardust. Factory nope. Girl. Alfie. Nope. nope. How is it possible? No, you have to have seen a few of these I movies. Because I have taste. Many of these movies are thought to be good. Name one. I've talked. Like, I, uh, uh, I like Stardust. Wait, I like. Fo- wait, 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 wait! I think I've seen Foxcatcher. That's the one where Steve Carell has a lot of makeup, right? Yes. Oh yeah, I like that one. I don't remember her in it. <laughs> She's Nancy she Schultz. Is she the ho- the helicopter? Like, I is she the helicopter? Know. I don't know. Who is she oh, in this okay. movie? I don't know. Let's, I've never seen that on. movie. No, it's impossible to me that Robin Barr has not seen The Lost City of Zed. I didn't even know it was called Zed. I thought it was just Z. Good Lord. And you didn't see 21 Bridges? No. 21 Bridges is a good like mid-90s programmer. Fucking uh, Chadwick Boseman, man. He's great in that movie. Is that playing somewhere? I think I'm Wait, gonna try to mid-90s watch mid nineties and Chadwick Boseman's in it? Yeah, because it's like it's it is it it was released in twenty nineteen, but like it is the kind oh. of movie that got released like every other week in the nineties and now like only oh, gets I made see. if Chadwick Boseman's like, I've got six spare weeks between Marvel films and I'd love to make something where I play a human. Mm. JK Simmons. Well, anyway, Matt Smith, I like him. The the anti-Sienna like Miller. <laughs> I like him as a menacing figure because on Doctor Who, he played such a little goofball. So it's fun to see him acting like a beehead. Uh, did you say a beehead? Yeah, he's well, a beehead. Clear, clearly, you never saw the, the Terminator film with him. So No, I did see The Crown, though, where he was a total beehead. Why do you keep saying beehead? I don't know. It's just like in my brain now. Okay. She also anyway. works in education, so. Yeah, and she accused me of liking someone only because <laughs> of their tits. Thomas and Mackenzie, who is not famously a, like, raptress, you know? Uh, okay, first of all, that is untrue according to Reddit. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Wait, okay, wait. So according to Reddit, Thomas and Mackenzie is famously busty? Yes, that's not true. That can't be true. She's also very young, Brian. Like we've literally watched her grow up on on the silver screen. I know she so went from incredibly very... young to very old in old. We literally <laughs> yes. watched her grow into oldness. And that is but one yeah, of the you... films that she is known yes. for having boobies. Okay, first of all, the tenor this, of this, this conversation is, not, is, this is being is driven totally by Robin. Yes. 
I an observer. I, I'm the reporter here. Well, you have to use the word boobies and tits. <laughs> I can't match your tone because I will get yelled at by people. Her memories. The memories, yes. Um, I it's weird just because I I I watched old. You all know I did. We talked about it on this podcast, and I don't Ad feel nauseum. And I don't feel as though uh, her breasts were a topic of discussion during our discussion. No, I don't think there generally was a discussion. we don't. Yeah, we we don't talk about that kind of stuff just in general. But yes, I also noticed this situation. Okay, situation, well, clearly, like, I, <laughs> Bill, do you mean the situation of her breasts being large? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a breast man. Like, you know... Listeners, sound off. Listening to this podcast, do you do I sound like a breast man? Um. Anyway, let's. let's He's a wings guy. Yeah, it's <laughs> zing. Jesus. <laughs> oh Christ! All right. Anyway, uh, I feel like now we've finally debased ourselves enough that we can go into spoilers for this movie um yeah something i wanted to go to about 10 minutes we had ago, to talk more about thomas and mckenzie's breasts memories and i just you know i just i i i'm gonna google that later and i'm gonna get called on by the police they're just gonna be like who are you and why did you google thomas and mckenzie's breasts <laughs> it's called duck duck go oh yeah it is that's true i'll have to do that Thank you, Bill. You make uh, researching for this podcast so much safer for me. Yeah, no problem. No I feel problem. like that could be on the film stage show bingo card is every time Brian says, I ref- as the father, I refuse to Google that. Just like, <laughs> I can't afford to go to prison. All right. Anyway, um, I realized that we never even gave like a fucking synopsis of this movie. Like I didn't do my typical. That's okay. Like, da, 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 da. Uh, according to IMDb, the synopsis is an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 60s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer, but the glamour is not what it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Which I guess is the first issue with this movie, is that it's very difficult to tell what precisely is happening and why. Um, I feel like I can't tell if the, these the ghosts haunt everyone who enters the room. And Thomas McKenzie is already very uh, sensitive yeah, to ghosts. I, I, and so she's I just can, getting more of it. I can see that because the character played by Diana Rigg, which, spoiler, 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 is Alexandria, which is also Sandy, uh, who <laughs> Too is many names. played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, yep. But no, I feel like she mentions early on, you have to pay me a, a deposit now. You also have to pay the first month's rent and the last two months of rent because she says that people keep dipping out on her. And so I think what's happening, I think what's happening is people are seeing these visions and seeing this shit happen. Um, Maybe not necessarily Anya Taylor-Joy. Maybe they're seeing just the apparitions that end up haunting, you know, towards the end. Uh, Maybe that's what they're being haunted by. And yeah, like it seems like this location is fairly cheap 
and also like available constantly. And so it's just like, yeah, something's something's fucking going on upstairs that she's clearly aware of. Well, so. So that's I couldn't figure out if she's like people disappear in the middle of the night and I'm like. Okay, so like it's haunted for everyone, and Thomas McKenzie can just like see it better or more, or is I, is that I, her saying think, she's fucking murdering people? What are you saying? D- people disappear in the night. In That's the what the, night. Ta- the Diane Rigg, Mrs. Collins, okay. um, said uh-huh. or Ms. Collins says, um, like yeah, people keep skipping out in the middle of the night with no warning, so I have to charge a lot up front. Yeah, I, th- I think you're reading too much into that. I think I think it's just they they are seeing those apparitions. I, again, I, so I Thomas don't think and Mackenzie seeing... being able to see her own mother that her, doesn't. Y- yes, she would have seen anything in that room anyway. That's what I'm saying. Is she no, getting no, a I'm higher just, dose because she's already sensitive? I, I I've already said this. That's okay. why I'm. That's why I'm. Un- not understanding why well because then you said i was like, reading too much into me. it no so i think they see the apparitions that end up haunting thomas and mckenzie towards the end the haunted faces the people that are basically buried inside of this room right mm-hmm. uh that diana rig has killed and then like stuffed inside the walls which of course brings up like a whole other thing of like what well, is it a smell i don't know whatever Here we go. <laughs> yeah that's the other um, question but the the I think they're seeing those apparitions because I think they specifically haunt that room. What I think Thomas and McKenzie is seeing is also Anya Taylor-Joy because of her connection to the paranormal, but also because she is so just enraptured by the 60s. I think she's kind of having this kind of fever dream kind of melding of like... You know, this is clearly like if you read Stephen King books or I think I think it's really H.P. Lovecraft that kind of started this. This is like a a thin part of the world, right, mm-hmm. where spirits can kind of pass through or whatever. Well, right? so, yeah, it's H- just, H- it's just H.P. Lovecraft haunted, has a, a, a short story. Uh, almost everything he wrote was a short story, though many of them are very long. But anyway, um, and it's called The Dreams in the Witch House. And it is about a man who is studying non-Euclidean geometry, which is awesome. Um, and he lives in a attic apartment that was once inhabited by Keziah Mason, who was a well-known witch in the city of Arkham. And every night he has dreams where her familiar comes to him. And soon he's hanging out with Keziah and going to, you know, the Cyclopean cities of, you know, the farthest reaches of the harrowing universe. And, um... And, like, the dreams slowly but surely it turns out, like, oh, shit, I'm not having dreams. Like, I'm actually going and chilling out with this friggin' broad. Um, mm. <laughs> and so that's, like, yeah, this movie's pulling a little bit from that. But, like, I, you know, it, it's just weird to me that you would say, like, the, the, the dead dudes are coming to everyone. It's the visiting Soho in the 60s that's new to people. I just, because I just don't. Thomas and Mackenzie's power set in this movie is very ill-defined, and I don't understand why she begins by seeing her mother. Why does that then result in her being able to full-on fucking visit the past? Not just in the room, but all over. You know? Like, why, why... And why would the apparitions wait until she got to their moment? 
you know, like the plot convenient moment to come out and see her. I mean, I think you're you're asking why is this movie being fucking made? Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's I another I great question. <laughs> it's yeah. just okay. You know, well, it's just I feel like the it. I don't know. It's just like when you start to pick apart the logic of this movie's haunting, which I, mean, I don't even know why, if you could call it a does, haunting. What is what does anyone have a superpower or some kind of power or can see, you know, apparitions and like, that's, that's like plot device one Oh one. Like that, that's, that's shit that you shouldn't be like, why that's, that should just be something that you either. Because if I am to, you don't. if I am to get into the reality of this movie and what it's trying to tell me, I need to have an understanding of it. And I, and I don't, I fundamentally don't. And that makes it difficult to understand everything. Like, like just it's very difficult to to hang out in this movie and not know why things are happening and what's going on. Like this, this all starts I, because she's in this room. But like, mm-hmm. is it just because like are the ghosts bringing her on this tour? So they like, but like, why would they? Like, why is this the start of the flashbacks? Why does she go everywhere with them? Like, you know, is she sleepwalking around Soho while this is happening? Like, it's just, it's just, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. There's no dream logic to this dream thriller. Like, does that, Robin, am I coming off as crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I just, it kind of felt like things were happening without there being a lot of, uh i don't know intrigue behind it like it just it kept feeling like scenes were happening at me yeah without me engaging or like feeling engaged by them because it was just it, like it goes along and you're like oh this is interesting like i feel sorry for this girl who's having like roommate problems and she's not fitting in at college and it's like literally my entire life and my entire career so like i'm relating you know to this experience and then it turns into just like a bunch of gobbledygook with fucking ghosts and this woman going insane. And that's not a lot of fun. And also, I just get really sick of movies that are like, well, maybe she's a schizophrenic. Like, fuck you. You don't know anything about mental health. You're using the mental deterioration as a fucking literary device. Like, Shut up! I, I just right, I, and I, I don't hate think movies that do that. There's never a point in this movie where I'm like, oh, maybe she is a schizophrenic. Yeah, no, and, and and there's I never no point where I'm like, that. Oh, I know you're not, but I'm saying like, right? But it, it becomes it a waste of that. it becomes a waste of plot energy to even bring that up if it's not something that right. like the audience is going to entertain. Right. You know, well, I'm, I, I mean, I guess I guess I feel for someone writing this character who ends up going to the police and they like what like what the fuck would a police officer do except if a if there is a good police officer maybe think okay this person's having like a psychotic episode right like if if they're not high on drugs then clearly something's going on right and so i think i think that's fine for a character to be like hey if you need help, like we have resources that can help you. No, I would prefer and, if this character just never went to the police. Like, cause it'd be very easy well, to write sure. a character like this who never goes to the police. Like, sure. Th- there are a ton of horror films and things like that, that 
you know, just ultimately they're like, they understand if I go to the police, they're just going to think I'm fucking crazy, which right. is, yeah, of course. Um, I will say this, that my issue with the film overall and where I stopped like being able to figure or not figure out, but being able to sympathize was that this film kind of breaks you out of that mold because Thomas and McKenzie's horrific moments and everything that's happening to her. I, I see where you're coming from, Brian, in, in ways of you're trying to focus in on like the power set and like, what are the rules I'm more focusing in on what is the way out for Thomas and McKenzie? And I don't fucking see one. And so this becomes like a unrelenting nightmare film that I felt like was just nails on a chalkboard towards the end because I was like, what the fuck? Like a, you mentioned it early on, but she starts getting haunted in the middle of the day. And I'm like, this is, this is too much. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel, I, I feel so fucking bad for her as a character. And that means that I've, I'm like invested in Thomas and McKenzie's character. Right. I think that means that she is a fairly I don't know, good Bill, actress. It might just mean that her tits are so big. <laughs> it could, it could be that. You They're know, just those, inflating in front the, of our those, eyes. The, that one sequence just kept me going for the rest of the right. film. She took off that uh, shirt once and I was just like, I'm in. <laughs> yep. Give her the uh, Oscar. <laughs> But uh, no, I think I think that's my issue is I just feel so fucking bad for her as a character because I don't see a way out. And some horror films really give you like that kind of sense, but they they usually modulate it in some way. Right. It's um, like I was saying with Suspiria, the original Suspiria, like, you know, that uh-huh. that poor American ballerina is just clearly in a place that's no good. But like mm-hmm. it moves fast enough and it's crazy enough and it's short enough that you don't well, I, feel overly wearied by having to watch her go through all this stuff. I think I think my issue with with this versus so many traditionally horror films is usually there are there is more than one. Like, I mean, you know, you get the Jasons, you get the Freddy Kruegers, you get you get you know, some of these other films that have just kind of one main thing, but usually they modulate it in a way where they're at least making progress. And I felt like Thomas and McKenzie's character in this film never makes any fucking progress, partly because the people that she's up against are fucking ghosts and she can't like kill them or do anything to them and so they're just gonna fucking haunt her the whole time you know like she can't swipe at them that's not gonna do anything um and every time well she can try to stab them with a uh, a fork not a fork a pair of scissors but they might you know actually be you know hurricane jacosta Yes, which is which. Uh, yeah, we we don't have to fucking nightmare character. Jesus Christ, um, people are assholes. But uh, yeah, I I just felt like I, she could never get a one up on this. And of course, it turns out Diana Rigg is is the final like big boss, right? Right. I guess not. Not 
gravelly voice, Terrence Stamp. Yes, poor Terrence Stamp. Just you know, always, always the innocent. Um, Terrence Stamp. Yeah. When you need someone who is immediately very suspicious, but might actually be a decent human being, Terrence Stamp <laughs> is there for you. But yeah, I, I think that was my issue with this film was wasn't necessarily the power set. It was more of okay, you you set this in motion. How am I supposed to feel about this character going through this? If you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about Jaws a lot for whatever reason, and Jaws is one of those weird films where there is no horror film if the people just stay out of the fucking water. And unfortunately for Thomas and Mackenzie. There's not that situation, right? Like, <laughs> but what's funny is I think it would be a more interesting film if there was that situation. Like, oh, I, I, I know that's what I'm saying. Is I wish she should she could get a one up. I wish she could modulate this in some way. I wish there were more rules about what is and isn't happening. The issue is that I I think this film is a little bit too long in when it starts going over the rails and yes. it takes too long. Like the, it, I think it's, you know, I, I don't want to clock it, but it, it felt to me like it was 30 minutes of just high strung tension towards the end. And this film doesn't really like, I don't think this film can sustain that. And also be an enjoyable experience like there, it's one thing to like put an audience through that like bravo congratulations you made me fucking want to like you know rip out the stuffing in the seats that i was sitting in but that doesn't necessarily mean that like you did a great job it means that you made a very frustrating experience in some ways like I need something more to latch onto. And so that was my issue with this was I was, I was in it. I liked Thomas and McKenzie's character. I felt very bad for her. And then the movie just fucking goes off the rails and there's, there's nothing that modulates it. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Um, it's not that it was like a terrible movie. I'm not shitting on it. <clears throat> I just find that, it was such a disappointing and frustrating experience by the end. And listen, I, I can't untangle it from my experience of the sound sure. design. Like it, which, that, which also it was so miserable. Yeah. Which also would have heightened that experience. Yeah. And like, not in a good way where you're like, wow, no. this is like sensorial. Right, it's not like gravity. Like, that's the weirdest I'm not part. About that's the, the weirdest part about you saying like, Oh, the sound in this movie, like it's like, we just watched Dune. <laughs> Like that would have been oh, the movie. I loved that. I loved that. That right. was that was a good example of how to use uh like the vibrations and the music and all of that stuff. And in this it was just fucking screaming and screeching and like freakouts and almost stabbings. It's just like enough already. Like I, I like horror a lot. This just felt like it was it 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 felt like a movie falling apart in front of my eyes. Yeah, I feel that. That being said, I actually liked the twist. I didn't guess the twist. I guessed like half the twist, let's just say. <laughs> because I thought I thought Sandy, uh, the actress or the character played by Anya Taylor-Joy, I thought her character was 
Diana Rigg. Like I got that connection. Yeah. But it did not occur to me that she uh, was the actual killer. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was that was cool, but not enough to save the movie. Unfortunately, Terrence Stamp, right before he gets hit, uh, he says something about, you know, I don't know why you're accusing me. You need to talk to Alex. And I was like, Alexandria. Oh, yes. This yeah, fucking girl. Yeah. I was like, ah, shit. Right. So, it's like, and, well, I, first of all, is, I guess Sandy is short for Alexandra to some people. I've, yes, I don't. Alexandra. Okay. okay. Yes. okay. All right. So that's, thank you for. Like Sandra D. I, I didn't thought, know I that Sandra D wasn't for... name wasn't just Sandra. <laughs> yeah, it's that's for Alexandra. I uh, thought it was just the Sandy hair, but okay. I thought her name <laughs> was just looks... fucking Sandy. <laughs> just <didn't>... Yeah, <laughs> like she just likes that name. I don't know. I'm the looking kid? up Sandra D now because I just refused. Yeah, she was born Alexandra Zuck. <laughs> so she definitely changed it for the better, um, <laughs> as they usually do. it's not even like zucker it's just zuck anyway um yeah so like i said zuck the air out my my issue also is that i don't know if i agree with the movie's (laughs) thesis that people who pay for sex deserve to die yeah i agree (laughs) i mean but i wait you agree with my ambivalence or you agree that people should die do you agree with the movie i agree that uh just because you're a John doesn't mean you're like a piece of shit. Right. Okay. So yeah, so that's a problem. Cause like, you know, it's like, and again, this movie is, is less morally complex paranormal. Um, you know, all these fucking creatures have been hounding her for four days. And then like when the house is on fucking fire and she's clearly trying to call the police and everything they pull her down to the bed and then one of them comes out of the wall and is like hey help us uh you know kill this bitch and she's like no i'm not gonna do that which also apparently just involves not calling the fire department and then diana rigg comes in and she's like you know they like were mean i can't even remember what the full statement was but you know She's like, this isn't how I saw things going. And and um and and Thomas and Mackenzie's like, yeah, I know. And then she says, they deserve to die. And I thought Thomas and Mackenzie was gonna be like like maybe just not agree with that. Like, you know, maybe say like I can't say whether that's real or not, but like you know, but instead she's like, Yeah, you know, fucking right, they did. No, they didn't. Why would you think oh, that, so Thomas and McKenzie? Like, it's just such oh. a weird. It's such like you can you can have a character who is in fact a victim say that, and I can't say, well, that bitch is just wrong, you know, because she's lived through a thing, and I can see how that would make you want to kill people. But at the same time, to have your main character then say like, yeah, no, you're right. They did. Like you were just really upset when you thought that Sandy got murdered. But now that you found out that Sandy actually killed probably upwards of 30 people, you're suddenly like, oh, well, you know, justifiable homicide does exist in this world. And even though you're clearly psychotic, you know, like it just is, it's crazy. Like just have Thomas and Mackenzie not respond. And that is like another half star from me. 
I don't know where you're going with this, though, because <laughs> I feel like uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character is not a willing participant in this. I understand that like, if there are two willing parties and money exchanges hands for that, I'm okay with that. That's fine by me. But if one of those parties is not a willing participant and is being dragged into this and is living a, a waking nightmare, right. I so don't necessarily I don't think have that a problem that's with a great her- situation. I don't have a problem with her killing Ro- Roger. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Stoneface. Pimp? Matt Smith. Jack. I don't have a problem with her killing Jack. That that sounds good to me. That is that is totally cool, right? But like when she starts killing everyone well, it's else, like she's luring them. I mean, that's the, the sense that I got was like the first kill, which was Matt Smith, who was her pimp slash sex trafficker. Like that, you get. But right. it seems like she is still engaging in sex work in order to lure Johns. Yes. Like a Sweeney Todd situation. Correct. Okay. So and you is the saying- demon hooker of Groom Street okay. or Grub Street or whatever the fucking street <laughs> she lived on. So I didn't I didn't take it that way because I'm taking it a little bit more face value of I, I didn't know what what to believe because you can believe what she is saying right or you can believe what is kind of depicted in the film and that's where it kind of gets messy is what is the actual truth i don't know i i didn't know the timeline of her first kill is him i thought she kills him later on because she's pissed about all the situations that he's getting her into. Um, so you think she's like not, already killed a shit ton of Johns and then she kills Matt Smith? I, I don't know. What, no, I'm not saying a shit no, ton. No, I think, Matt, I think maybe a few, No, but I'm not sure. No, okay, I, well, I, I, mean, I, would, I mean, I would, you're saying no, but like, it's <laughs> like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, once she knifed him, that was it. She the got straw that stabbed the camel's Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, I get that. Yeah. I Cause that he's got her on now. the bed and he's like, ah, oh, you bitch, I'm going to carve your eyes out. And, and she, <laughs> she, uh, also Thomas and Mackenzie, like just really misreads that full on fucking murder that she sees while her unfortunate black boyfriend is on the other side of the bed, completely uncertain of what's happening (laughs) while a, an elderly white woman screams that she's going to kill him for being in a room with a white girl. Yeah. Um, the optics of that scene are super terrible. Um, but what I, what I would say is I just, I don't know how Thomas and Mackenzie, fails to notice that uh jack rather than being the stabber is in fact the stabby i found that a little hard to swallow just logistically but no i mean the diana rig basically blood like diana rig basically says like yeah i fucking killed jack and then i killed every other motherfucker who came upstairs and i'm like did you let them in like could you like I like that's sure. that's how the did point they even which, get there? Like, that's the point at which I I my I lose like it's it, at that point it's like oh like this person who you know like it's like a, a Walter White kind of thing where it's like all right the first like couple crimes I can understand it's when you start doing all the other crimes that it becomes a little more morally muddled but more like, crimes right Thomas and Mackenzie is just like yeah they did. And it's like, am I, is that what I'm supposed to get out of this? Like, cause I still kind of think she's a monster. 
Oh, I don't think you're supposed to think that Anya Taylor Joy isn't a monster. Are you sure? <laughs> I think you're supposed to feel sorry for her and yes. also find her reprehensible. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like again, I just feel like having Thomas and Mackenzie openly say that those people deserve to die and refuse to help the ghosts, like it just it it just plays weird, man. Like it just really does. I don't think she's refusing to help the ghosts. Doesn't she like openly rebuke them? I mean, I think she has complicated about. feelings about them, but they, they end up being <laughs> sympathetic or like rather pathetic. I think that the other problem is that I, you know, in, in Paranorman, um, oh, Jesus. in Paranorman, they do a good it's job. It's Cruella, man. Cruella. No, it's, I haven't seen Cruella and, and Cruella doesn't have a bunch of zombies that are thought to be evil, but turn out to be, you know, misunderstood, but who also did a terrible thing, but still deserve grace. Um, Her name is Cruella. (laughs) Is she a zombie? I mean, in some senses, metaphorically. (laughs) No, we're not doing that. No. In Paranorman, they make a very big deal of, if you watch the movie, with the knowledge that the guys are actually not mean zombies, but rather just like, you know, their curse is to appear as zombies. You see that they never go after anyone. They're constantly hiding. They're not doing anything bad. And in this movie, it's like, what if we, uh, what if we act like psycho killers for I don't know, like three or four days <laughs> until this girl's really fucking frazzled, and then we finally talk to her? Do you think that's a good idea? I think that's a perfect plan, right? I mean, they're ghosts. How much logic do they have? I don't know. Um, they ref- they try to g- give her a telephone and. <laughs> <laughs> speak to her god this movie was so dumb this movie is super fucking dumb and i don't like it and everyone on earth is so mean to thomas and Mackenzie that it becomes like cartoonish yeah i like, agree she but gets then into again, this you know, fucking if I cab her, and the cab driver's just like oh i'm gonna rape you it's just like wow okay <laughs> Just like, yeah. like it's so telegraphed it's geez. like is there anything such as known as subtlety in this universe like jesus uh, i mean not not usually in a giallo film right well that's the problem though is in a giallo film it's it's at least it, there's there's more to it or it's of a piece and of a tone and i just don't think that edgar wright is capable of of doing that of making that like you kind of have to be a weird dude to make a giallo film i feel like sure dario argento I, I mean, couldn't make a normal film you know but like correct like i i think i think what's interesting is like giallo kind of sprung up as a genre not intentionally but like just out of the willpower of these fucking creatives that were just like i'm gonna make something really fucking on edge and people dug that and people replicated that like it wasn't you know like i mean it's it's like with anything right you can't make a classic film like you can't set out to do that that's just something that is or isn't going to happen um so yeah i think I, I think Edgar Wright does a lot of really, really, and you know, I I listened to a podcast where he was being interviewed, and he rightly put on, uh, or rightly gave credit to his production crew on this film, where it seems like they basically shot everything, like besides the ghosts, obviously, uh, but. 
you know, they pretty much shot everything in camera. So I think this film in a lot of ways, like it's just fucking beautiful. Like it looks great. Some of these camera sequences are fantastic. So he's got that. I don't think that's ever been a question for me is like his filmmaking technique in terms of, uh, style but i feel like this film just he is such a he is such a fun filmmaker to watch most of his films that this film sucks out all of that energy because like i said like this film is a fucking nightmare for the last like 30 40 minutes but not a good nightmare no, it like, does not, not like its tone. Oh, it's got a nightmarish like logic and it, it the inextricable like inevitability yeah. of a nightmare. It's like oof, boy, what a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and and I mean granted he's using, you know, still his his visual techniques and stuff like that, but I just feel like it all falls on deaf ears when his tone in this last piece is is just so so at this level um i think you know baby driver its last pieces when uh john ham basically turns into the terminator <laughs> yeah. like it's it's having fun with that like you th- you think of john ham and you're like oh madman like he's great like he's he's swat man <laughs> yeah you mad know man. john oh, ham madman mad <laughs> yeah, yeah you know Just um one. and so, you know, I think I think it's obviously having fun with that kind of, you know, visual, uh, you know, uh, juxtaposition or whatever. But no, this film doesn't have that. Matt Smith is creepy and he's creepy in this film. You know, Terrence Stamp is creepy and apparently he's a young Sam Claflin. Like, who, who would have fucking thought? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like this this film is just overlong in its last like piece it feels like y'all y'all have oft, often heard like you know films are kind of breaking broken up into like three acts like a three act structure and all this shit yeah. well i feel like this is a last half structure like he, mm-hmm. he forgot the middle third and <laughs> just smashed it together and was just like would you like two thirds and i'm like no sir <laughs> no but i mean like, think about you, you give me my one third thank think you think about original suspiria that that movie is kind I, of I like honestly that can't I, I can't remember that film to be honest with you. Like, like I saw that, I dug it, and I don't we had remember a whole podcast it at all. about. Yeah, I, know, I remember some I know. maggots. That's all I remember. That's the but thing. Like, I do remember liking it. Like that. That's the thing. But yes, I I didn't have that same experience with this film. No. Hmm. Yeah, no, because like I like yeah, like I don't. It's it's just wrong. Like this, the movie is just a poorly conceived and badly executed attempt to do a thing that shouldn't have been done. And and again, it's 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 in its in its failure to really operate on any kind of level of logic with regards to what the mechanics of this flashback thing are, with its muddled morality regarding like who deserves to die or not and everything else. And then just like with the way it ends. And I feel like I'm still waiting for her mom to come into this somehow, you know, (laughs) 
Like, it's just, like, there's just a lot happening here and none of it really pays off. You know, like, it's just, I just feel like when you take something like this and you try to be too obvious about your themes, like, one of the reasons that Suspiria sticks around is because you can read a lot into it. You know? Unlike the the remake of it, which, again, tries to make all that subtext just bold, boring-as-fuck text. Like, it, just the, the, that is a movie that is, in a good way, a nightmare. Because you do kind of watch it and go, none of this makes sense. This pacing is bananas. These colors are insane. Why are people acting like any of this is normal? But this movie, it, you just have more time to think about it. And because it's trying to operate in a level of reality, it just becomes kind of a crazy, inexplicable fucking just mess. Just a mess. Just not a good time at all. And you also just, you stack the deck so much against poor, poor Eloise that you pity her immediately more than anything. You never even really grow to like her. You just feel bad for her all the time. Yep. Agreed. She's, right. You yeah. need her to be like a plucky heroine. And instead, she's mm. just like, and I I hate to, to give Robin the satisfaction hearing me say it. She's just a mousy voiced fucking victim. Yeah. She's a wiener. Yeah. Which, again, <laughs> can be fine. But, like, then she needs to have at least one human being other than John who is not a piece of shit to her. Or her doting, <laughs> like, ineffectual fucking grandmother. An asshole. Like, I, that kind of doesn't make any sense to me. Like, like, okay, yeah, you have Jocasta, who's a bitch. Okay, sure. But, like, everybody in the dorm hates her. But at the same time, you're like, I, I think, yeah, they I do, think... because she hates everybody in the dorm. Like, she's right. a freak she, who comes out in the, in the blanket. She, that, that's the other thing, is like, once, you've, and what, once you leave your room where your roommate's having sex and find that there is a party going on, I don't give a shit. You go back into the room. <laughs> or you go into a stairwell or something. Don't go into the middle of the party and try to go to sleep, you fucking maniac. Like, that's yeah, not even... Just join the that's not even believable introvert shit like yeah. she should go and fall asleep on the roof before she goes and lays down in the middle of the party sure anyway i did like her newsprint dress though that was cute oh you fucking sucker <laughs> what yeah i feel Quirk. like she's quirky and artistic Ooh, oh she my why are you being so mean to me through being mean to Thomas and Mackenzie? You deserve it. I don't understand my this husband, energy at all. My husband made the mistake of saying that Christelle on the Great British Bake Off, who's one of the contestants this season, has a perfect face. And now she is dead to me. And I won't have any of it. So that's how I feel right now. How do you spell Christelle? I don't know. It's already, it's so dumb that I don't even want to entertain the idea that my husband thinks someone named Christelle is attractive. I'm just mean. So it's the Great British Baking Show. And the, you think that's with a K or a, oh wait, I found it. I think it. it's like Crystal, but Christelle. Yes. This is the person who he says has a perfect face? It makes no sense. Yeah, I don't quite see it. This is it's not, not even like, really it's about not her. like jarringly imperfect, but I wouldn't say like <laughs> I just she, don't care for it. 
I don't, okay, but I mean, I don't know how we. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> I just don't know how we got into this from Thomas and McKenzie. I feel like I've said like three nice things about her, and you just dunk on me each time. <laughs> the point is, if a man likes a woman that I have complex he just, feelings about, <laughs> then he just can go straight to hell. I I apologize for not woman. being totally against <laughs> Thomas and McKenzie. And her baby voice. And her fucking baby voice. And her huge tits. And her quirky <laughs> ass dress. The dress is the worst of all. No, the worst thing about this movie is when everyone's like, Lenten can be a lot. Like, you sound dumb. Like, this dialogue is dumb. Everyone that's also is dumb like, in this movie. They, they don't the shoot. Grandma the, is dumb. That's that's another thing, I think. I just like this movie. Like, people are like, oh, she's like got a lot of nostalgia. She doesn't. She just likes 60s pop music. She doesn't even <laughs> seem to care about the clothes that much until she has her dream about fucking uh, Sandy in that weird baby doll fucking floof dress. Floof. I did like that dress. I liked Anya Taylor joining this movie. I like. We her have not Diana talked Rick. about her at all. I I really, you know, like she's not given much, but what, whatever she's given, I was way more interested in her than I was the reality of um, I, Louise's life. I legitimately thought that, like, you know, in seeing the in seeing the um, the trailer for this movie, I thought that Anya Taylor Joy would be like a self possessed, ambitious. Like, you know, sex pot femme fatale who through these dreamlike interactions with Thomas and Mackenzie would slowly corrupt Thomas and Mackenzie's character and lead to some sort of fucking stuff. Right. That'd be great. I was not expecting it to be a story of sexual exploitation that that and honestly, like it. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to fully explain how disappointing it was to find out that that was the story that they were going to tell. Sure. Because I just, I do, I find it to be, I like, you know, I don't know. Robin said my idea was great. So that's, I feel like that's all I got. Yeah, I thought that would be, <laughs> wouldn't right. that be fun to Fuck watch? It. Let's, let's, let's go home. Let's write <laughs> this movie. Let's. I just, it felt yeah. like there was, there's something to that idea that I find more interesting than here's another movie about how women used to have it real tough and men are shitty and, you know, but at least we've like, got. Like, why does it have to be set in the 60s? Like that, you know. There's nothing that, I mean. Sex trafficking. Like, but sex trafficking still happens thing? now. Yeah. It's like a thing that fucking massage now. things all over the goddamn yeah. phone booths. It's like a fantasy of what prostitution was right she's still she's got her fucking you know what's a movie that really makes prostitution seem as terrible as it is is the rhythm section i didn't watch that okay so i thought about it in this movie because in that movie uh blake lively is a uh prostitute in london and she is one of those girls that is on one of those like leaflets that's pasted to the the phone Mm -hmm. box and she's like junk sick all the time and she doesn't look well and her clothes are dirty and everything's terrible. And she's like a half rabid live wire of a human being. Um, 
This is before she turns into a super deadly secret agent. Um, but in this movie, Anya Taylor Joy is like, oh, I get to lounge around in four hundred dollar lingerie. Like it's just, it's such, it is such a what what you'd said, like such a weirdly prosaic, old school kind of like shitty version of like coerced sex work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, we want her to be a, a, you know, subjugated prostitute, but she still needs to look fucking kick ass. Yeah. So between Zola and this movie and Red Rocket, which I don't think you guys have seen yet, uh, yeah. I have to say, I think the contemporary stories are more horrifying. Like, they're much more horrifying than this horror movie about sex work. Oh yeah, Zola is is a lot more. I don't know. I I don't. Like, this is one of those things where I feel like Robin somehow led me into saying something that I'm gonna regret. But I agree with you. I agree with. What well, you're I saying. know that you weren't a big fan of Zola. I mean, you know, it was all right. Um, well, Zola, I had I a problem with it, for a, a lot of reasons. But I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's it's what's the word I'm looking for? Portrayal of modern sex work was harrowing as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Um, and and you guys, I think, will enjoy Red Rocket, I hope, because I thought that was really one of the, certainly one of the best films I've seen this year. But what makes that movie so good is that it it's coming from a comedy perspective and oh, it's very well, funny. But I think because, but because it, because of the way it uses humor, I think it just, it emphasizes how much more horrifying it is to be uh, sucked into that that kind of world um, not to brag but i've talked to a lot of sex workers you know and I, like yeah we've heard many of them do not look at their life as being so terrible that they want to murder everyone who they're near yeah and the, and, and i shouldn't say that like oh everything about sex work is horrifying i don't mean it that way but i think what's horrifying is being trafficked and yes being that controlled. is the part that's not good and that's the thing that i think each of these three movies uh really delve into and that's what i find very interesting about them but the but the the going from most horrifying to most benign seeming i actually think it's kind of inverse like that the most benign funny exuberant movie is actually the most horrifying because you can actually see how somebody could get easily pulled into a lifestyle that they don't want to have um, right. because of a charismatic personality and you sort of see that in zola as well and in this you're just like why the fuck is any of this happening like this yeah doesn't make i don't any sense. i don't know if there's a good way to say this but i'm not 100 sold on her transition into it's just work. so like uh it felt like half scaffolded or it's like, like it's an outline it felt like an outline and not a movie it's an out it's an after school a, special it's like well of yeah. course she got into sex work didn't you hear how much she loved rock and roll three <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. for madness <laughs> it's 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 very poor and like i you know I, I i don't like his work generally so like maybe this is just me not thinking much of him as a creator but i don't think that edgar wright is the person to make a movie about uh you know 1960s sex work you know didn't you know it was written half by a woman yeah Which but half? Like, i don't know you know that's so like uh, not to bring up i think it was armand white uh like i said i only read two reviews of this movie um 
And this is one of the reasons why I usually don't read reviews of movie because now I've got all these ideas and I don't know who to attribute them to. But one of them said something like, um, you know, uh, Christy, uh, yeah, Christy Wilson Cairns, you know, who, who helped to write 1917, you know, was also a part of the screenplay process for this movie. But like, so is fucking Phoebe Waller Bridge, you know, part of part that. of a uh, you know the 007 movie that we just saw. Its name I can't remember. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Like just having a woman come in and do like a dialogue pass or like a feminism yeah. check doesn't make your movie oh, appreciably he, better. You know, she she was a bigger part of that than this. Can you use some proper nouns so I know what we're talking about? Sure. The co-writer on. Uh, whatever the fuck we're talking about right now, the last night in Soho <laughs> okay. uh, God, no was a much, yeah, uh, take a drink. Uh, yeah, she is a much bigger part of this film. She was part of the pre-production quite a bit. So, Okay. Well, I still don't think that she was enough of a part of it. I don't know. It just, I mean, it just look, wasn't look, a great look, film. Look, it just wasn't. Look, I mean, like, the story was bad. Let's, Let's let's be very honest. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're a great writer. I'm sorry, Bill, that but according can, to this like, movie, uh, excuse women me, are I'm infallible. an amazing writer because I'm a woman. <laughs> like, you know, just because you have a female co-writer on a film doesn't mean that automatically it's going to, oh, yep, now your film's great. Everything with a female is awesome because, like, I don't know if y'all know this, <laughs> but uh, a lot of men write terrible fucking movies that star men all the fucking time so Bill, you know. it's like you didn't even watch this movie <laughs> do you even agree that john's should be put to death <laughs> I think, only if we're I gonna put them in meat pies I, I you know and again like bill you just bring up like i think I, you and i must have probably had the same thought like there's that scene where they show her like putting a floorboard over a guy's face yeah, and I just I was immediately like, was fuck? like, "Isn't that gonna stink like fucking hell?" Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't, you You're can't have someone. Where's the I mean, where's guess, all the blood going? <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, she does mention I bought it from the people that you know owned it originally, and I that guess doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, I think the reason she bought it is because she knew if anybody else owned this fucking place, they'd be like, why the fuck does this place smell so bad? Well, all she the even time? said like, oh, it's old fashioned, but I'd never change it. And I think that that's also like, well, I'm not going to like blow she, the walls out because there's a bunch of bones in the walls. Well, she also <laughs> mentions very early on that uh when it starts to get warm, you're going to have to put the stopper on the drain pipes because, you know, it's going to stink. And like garlic. It's, yeah. So maybe, okay, maybe wait, she I have a legit, with garlic. I have a legit question. Do you think it's because of the bodies or do you think it's because of, like, is that her saying, hey, this place does smell a lot because there's so many fucking dead people here? Or is she legitimately like... No, there is a French bakery next door, and it smells like garlic quite a lot. Yeah, I think she was being a little racist. Okay. Racist, racist against, against the, French. the French. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was absolutely. Thinking, I was thinking about this today. I'm like, remember all those like deep ethnic divides that just kind of don't like exist anymore? Like, when was the last time you heard a Norman call a Saxon a dog? What the fuck? Normans and the Saxons were like great enemies. 
Yeah, no, like yeah, a thousand big, years. That's ago. what I'm talking about. Like it's it's just interesting. Yeah, so like, I haven't heard it is, in a thousand years. Right. Like so, what is the what is the timeline for those things to go away? I find the uh, the way that different uh, cultures and, and ethnicities interact with each other over the course of time to be interesting. Yeah, How I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that racism ever goes away. I think it it melds and it turns into different things. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, Edgar Wright mentioned that he and his co-writer were uh, talking about this film right as Brexit was happening. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's a whole thing where it's very, very much, you know, a racist thing. Yeah, very much has, motivated by hatred of the Poles. Well... I don't know anything about that, but I just know it was definitely an immigration thing. So yeah, yeah, and okay. apparently a lot of that was Polish. It's very weird. Anyway, um, let's not talk about Brexit. Let's talk about this terrible movie. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up. But uh, yeah. I do well, want I was... to mention one thing real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun thing. Uh, speaking of Ralph Fiennes uh, from last it's Rafe. week, Rafe Fiennes Rafe from Twizzington. Yes. Smytham, Wickham, Trash Monster the Third. So, so if you think if you think Anya Taylor Joy has a long name, wait until you hear Anya Josephine Marie Taylor Joy is her actual real name. And right. there's another she's hyphen the, in there. She's the fourth it's Duchess. Anya of, Josephine. The fourth Duchess of Mosraslam or whatever the fuck. So she was born in Miami, Florida. Thomas and Mackenzie is apparently from New Zealand. Well, she is born in Miami, Florida, but her parents are very much uh, UK uh, based. Uh, She was born while she was uh, her family was uh, on vacation. So now she has dual citizenship. Anchor baby. Well, I was about to say, are her parents like those people that they're like, you know, went to like Trump hotels to get citizenship for their children? That's insanity. That's awesome. Maybe she is. Maybe she is an anchor baby. We should not be saying anchor no, baby. No, we should 100%. As long as we only ever say it about Anya Taylor Joy, I feel yeah. like it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely joking, and I think world it's famous concept. anchor baby Anya Taylor Joy. <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, let's let's get the fuck out of here. We need to ratify a new amendment to keep anchor babies like Anya Taylor Joy. Oh, guys, can you explain something to me? Maybe. So I posted um I posted some of my conservative teen poetry to Reddit, and some people are calling me a Chad, and I kind of think I know what that means. Wait a second. But do you know what that means? <laughs> Can't just Google it. You're they're calling you a a woman a Chad? I don't know if they know I'm a woman, but I've been called I've been voted Chad worthy. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. So and I'm like, Googling it and I so know what like, Chad is. My like, understanding of Chad is through weird incel culture where like, you know, there's like Stacy's, which are yeah. I, I don't like it's like a hot girl who's uh, there's so many terrible things I could say who basically is like using her sexuality to like exploit men and blah, 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 blah. Yes. And yes. then a Chad is like an alpha male dude, bro. Who's not like all the quote unquote nice guys and is like a real dick, but he gets all the Stacy's. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what does Chad worthy mean? And why I guess I that you have some real fucking Chad, big dick energy flowing from those poems, man. 
you know what? I'll take it then. Right. Like if you're if you're a I like I just don't even know. Like it feels like it's a compliment, but only specifically to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I were these know. poems? Do you want to read one right now? Oh, it's it's too horrifying. I I could maybe show them to you privately. Okay, I would love to see them. It's like rhyming poetry. Interesting. About the war in Iraq. What? <laughs> yeah. That's fucking awesome. Um, I was never that conservative. <laughs> I don't even know if I was or wasn't. I was just following the lead. That's of weird. My parents. Like even even as someone who initially supported the war in Iraq, I never wrote poetry in support of it. <laughs> Like, I mean, what's what does it mean when you're 13 years old and you support the war in Iraq? Like, well, what, yeah, what I mean, 100. percent That's a valid question. But also, what does it mean when you're 13 <laughs> and you write pro-war poetry? It's I, pretty special. At that age, all my poetry was like, "Oh, this girl's pretty, and she doesn't know." She's like, you know that song "Teenage Dirtbag" by Weedus. That was pretty much all my poetry. Um, right. That sounds like Any, you now. Anything else about this film? First of all, Robin just insulted me <laughs> once again. Apparently, anything I say about Thomas McKenzie is motivated by some sort of like anti-Chad feelings of symptom <laughs> I have for Thomas and McKenzie, and therefore all my thoughts are invalid. I will say, I, I, the, I understand. Again, the progressive optics of making the only person with half a soul in this movie outside of Thomas and Mackenzie and her grandmother, a black man. I understand the impulse to do that, but you have to understand how terrible the optics are. I, I thought the, the barkeep was, or the bar bar owner was, was the good. old lady. Yeah. No, I mean, she, she was, had some wisdom to her. She, old broad, but I mean like, yeah. you know, you can't put her up against John. John's in like a good 30% oh, yeah? of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can put his character development up against hers. Well, his character development is instantly a nice guy, always a nice guy, never not a nice guy. The worst thing he does to her <laughs> is drinks her soda. Meanwhile, she puts him into a situation where he should legitimately fear for his life. And the next day he's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. All right. I just want to make sure you're okay. I ran over some glass. I had to go to the ER. It's totally cool. Yeah, I don't know. This why guy, Robin, is not glass. a Chad. That, He's not a Chad that, that at was, all. That was that was rude. I don't know why Edgar Wright made him walk across glass. I, I feel like I kept expecting I like that it would mean issue. something. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. And he doesn't. He doesn't walk funny the next day. Like I, w- I would fully expect him to be like, like kind of limping and and kind of like making side eyes at her and being like, "You see how much pain I'm in right now?" Like. No, nothing. And it's just like I step on one of Cora's Legos and I limp for three days. This motherfucker <laughs> runs over broken glass and is like, "No, nah, I'm cool." Yeah, perfectly fine. Let me wear some white shoes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just a very it's kind of a weird look or a it's just like for this movie to be like and and he's gonna be like make he has like no like any goals or like thoughts or objectives of his own other than to support uh, Thomas and Mackenzie. 
I mean, Eloise. We can we can poke holes at at his character development all day long, but neither does anybody else except for Eloise, right? Like nobody else have has any kind of internal motiva- motivation in this. Film right, but I'm just saying her. it it becomes more of a problem for him when you like when when you look at this through the lens of like. You've made the, optics, the one the character. You've made the one major character of color completely, like blindly subservient to this white woman. A white woman, yeah. You know, and so. I don't like to look at movies through that lens. I always find it awkward, and I don't like that I'm like sort of now programmed to do it instantly. But like, I could not not see that in this movie. It's yeah. very awkward. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I was about to say, is there any other is there any other stuff that we need to talk about with regards to this? What do we feel? What do we feel about her uh, her final um, clothing line that we get to see at the end of this movie with people who the makeup on their face makes them look vaguely Matt Smith esque? I don't know. I don't even remember any of it. You don't remember that? The makeup on their faces made their faces angular and blocky to the point when I was like, is that specifically supposed to like be Jack like? Mm. Brian, I think I think you will find that a lot of supermodels right now uh, have that kind of look. They got all got Matt Smith face. Uh, (laughs) What's her Rosie Huntington Whitley or whatever her name is? Like just Google that broad. Uh, okay, Rosie Huntington Whiteley, Whitley, Whiteley, Whiteley, Whiteley. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's kind of got a Matt Smith-like face in some of these photos. Yep, her cheeks are a little rounder. Apparently, she's in Transformers. Yep, okay. she replaced Megan Fox, which are was you, you serious? Not yeah. Uh, not not adequate. <laughs> not <laughs> adequate. That's a kind way of saying that. Um, yeah, interesting. All right, she, let's get the fuck out of here. She looks mm. appreciably older than Megan Fox. I don't know how that whole thing went down, but anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know this movie. I don't. And then like her mom's back. Where was her mom through this whole time? Like, why was it her mom in the window being like? Shaking her head and waving her oh, arms, oh. like no, don't do it. I, I, I know that her mother's dead, conflated. Bill. <laughs> no, I I was conflating you saying where is her mom with her grandma for whatever reason. And I was just like her, her grandma calls all the fucking time. What are you talking about? And then yeah, no, it's like it's like you know she's like oh I haven't even seen mom in forever and like her mom pops up like a couple times and I'm like oh all right so she sees dead people so like this makes a lot of sense so like. I thought her mom would be like a good influence. How that did you then... find something else to talk about? Because what, what the there's a lot in this on? movie that sucks. <laughs> anyway, so like I thought that her mom would be like the good influence who's like there and is uh, angelic, but again, who would get kind of nudged out of the way by this evil younger version. And then maybe at some point you'd find out they're actually the same woman. And so it's like, you know, a, a daughter being torn between her mother's hellish youth or the kindness that she found in raising her daughter before her mental illness eventually reemerged and made her kill herself, you oh, know, God. and it would be like some kind of a statement about like how we pick the aspects of our parents that we want to emulate. 
you know, and instead, again, it just becomes like, you know, Edgar Wright's after school special about how jazz music will eventually turn you into a prostitute. (laughs) (laughs) It'll turn you into a marionette. Yeah. Can't can't deny that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Don't know what the hell that was all about, but I'm just surprised that a review that's apparently so shitty and is a gateway to prostitution would still have such high production values. But I guess things were different in the 60s. Anyway, any final thoughts on this movie? First of all, here's my one last critique of this movie. If I could live in any time period in my life, it would not be London in the 60s. Only a loser would say that. It would obviously be New York in the 70s. Bye. Uh, I, I would live in Stalingrad in the 40s. All right, fuck you. <laughs> I don't know. I like that's such a that's such a no. Like I don't know how to say this politely, but no one fucking asked you, Eloise. And also, <laughs> we have nothing to go on. You know what? You know what? I forgot that I had a whole rant lined up about how this movie somehow makes me appreciate the fucking terrible movie that is Midnight in Paris. I hate that movie so much because like this movie's like oh it's like toxic evil corrosive nostalgia but she's not nostalgic about anything she's not like everything was better then she's just like i really like the music then and you know midnight in paris owen wilson's legitimately like oh man people used to like have conversations and there were artists they would sit over like right here and they'd drink tea and then he goes back and he realizes that, like oh they're all like human beings and they somehow kind of suck and also the woman that he loves is nostalgic for like 80 years earlier, you know? And that's a super basic, really stupid freshman year of college kind of idea to have. But this movie somehow makes it worse by failing to even investigate it as much as that movie did. So yes, that's that's my final rant. I'm sorry, Bill, that I keep coming up with things to say about this movie. Is there anything else to say? Let's get the fuck out of here. All right, cool. Good work. Stealing Bill's line. (sighs) Mixing it up on the Slack channel. (laughs) Pumpkin spice. Hey, whoa. Hamilton. Love pumpkin spice. (laughs) Woo. Excellent. That's my character development. Thank you. Get the fuck out of here. We've just entirely encapsulated all of Bill Graham. Oh, boy. What movie were we talking about again? Next week? No, um, I I was doing another Bill Graham thing. Oh. Anyway. What's uh, this movie? <laughs> what are we talking about? What's her name? Sienna Miller. Who's that? That's it for today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed us uh, talking about how terrible Last Night in Soho was. Um, so hope hope nobody watched I, it. I liked it. I liked it. Uh, What's weird is that you... the halfway point. <laughs> That does. I feel like if you only like half a movie, you can't actually like the movie. That that was obviously a joke. Yes, bro. Oh, okay. I was I was worried that you were like, I don't know. I feel like I'm still worried about a net being a thing. Anyway, that's it. Um, let's. Uh, so yeah, what do we got? We got uh, the Twitters, the Facebooks. You know where to find us. The Film Stage Show, and of course, don't forget to go to mubi.com/slash/filmstage. 
for your free 30-day trial of Mubi, where you can check out all the great films that they've got lined up. Uh, again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. And over here to patreon.com slash the filmstage show to give us your money. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? The Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Is it the Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy? I, don't, I think I, I just freaked out when it, you asked me that. I think it's just Wheel of Fortune <laughs> and Fantasy. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> There's an article that doesn't it's, belong. Nope, there is no definite article. It's just Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Well, fuck me. <laughs> so next week we're talking okay. about Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Uh, let's tell the fine people at home where we could be found between now and the next time that we scream incoherently into their ears about how great the 60s were. We start with Bill Graham. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram, where I post pictures of my dog all the time. Awesome. Robin Barr. You can find me at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R on Twitter. I sometimes write for The Hollywood Reporter, and I'm also on Letterboxd. Awesome. As for me, uh, you can find all of my stuff on all the social medias at Brian J. Rowan. Um, you can see all of my stuff over at my personal site, BrianJerowin.com. Uh, you go to SchmidtSpirits.com to find out more about the liquor that I make, which is awesome. And, of course, you can find my writing and every episode of this here podcast over at TheFilmStage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. See, the irony is that she says it's going to be great downtown, but actually you're going to get turned into a prostitute.